You are listening to the Kensington Church Podcast, recorded live in Michigan. To learn more about Kensington, visit kensingtonchurch.org.
Beautiful. Good morning, everyone. I don't know about you, but when I'm listening to that song, I'm, I'm looking at the words, even though her voice is so beautiful, right? And the verse, something always stands out to me. So what do you think? I thought the king of heaven, like that stood out to me. We call him Lord, we call him God, but I don't often think of him as the king of heaven. So it's just a, a beautiful song, don't you think? I love it. Well, I'm Tracy and this is... Hi, I'm Emily. Emily, and we are your hosts this morning. It's so fun to say good morning and welcome to those of you who are here and those of you who are viewing online. Um, we like to share a couple things about what's coming up when we do this before we dive into the message. So today we're going to talk about men and women and something special we have planned is this week, Tuesday night and Wednesday night, we have an event for the women called Girls Night Out. I'm a little partial to that event. Um, we, this is like our 10th annual, I think, and this is a night where we're inviting you to invite your friends and family to come with you. It's, a, it's a, just a night of fun. We're having, calling it a mocktails and mingle, so we're going to have appetizers and mocktails, and we're going to be hanging out, and then, of course, we're going to have some fun. We typically throw in a game, and this year, we're going to do a panel of seven women, and they're going to talk about how do they walk by faith and not by sight? And what's really cool about that is we think this is for women of all ages. We have women from 29, 21 years old to 60-something years old. I'm not saying who's 60-ish. You know, I mean, Emily and I are a little bit different generation, even though she looks a lot older than she right, is. Right. <laughs> and something that I love about this woman's getaway coming up, we have child care. So. That's right. If I you have your that? kids, we will watch them for you while you are able to get away for a little bit. As well as, there's going to be a giant charcuterie board. So charcuterie, isn't it just fun to say? That's what I'm coming for. Giant. <laughs> I'm shopping for it today. It'll take me until Tuesday. It's so big. Right, right. <laughs> and so, guys, we also have an event coming up for you as well. Yours is called The Pig Out. Yeah, someone's excited. And so Jim has been smoking pork butt all week for you guys. So it's nice, tender, juicy like smoking in the grill. Not like, it, that just yeah. sounded so it weird. It sounds weird to say that he's smoking pork butt. <laughs> but anywho, he's going to have some yummy food for you guys to enjoy and just hang out as a crowd. The, the thing I love about these events is that it makes a big church like this start to feel a little bit smaller when you go to these events and make some friendships with some people that you'll be able to see on Sundays and hopefully eventually throughout the rest of your week. Yeah. We hope you'll register, though, and if you could do that like today, that would be so great. So I know how much food to buy, and Jim knows when he can stop smoking pork butts. <laughs> Sound good? <laughs> hey, if you have any questions about this or you've forgotten everything that we said by the time you walk out of there, how many of you people, we're, we're in the game mode today, quiz, what is the name of the thing out in the middle of the lobby that if you have a question you go to? All right, the hub. So <laughs> if you are new to Kensington, maybe you've come a couple of times, stop by. We have a little something for you, but it's just for everyone. To any questions about Kensington, all things Kensington, please stop out at the hub. Yeah, and so we're actually going to play a game today that is relating to the series we're in. So Tracy, you want to tell them what series we're in? Yeah. So the, the new series is called Boomer XYZ, and we're taking a look at different generations. That's why we're up here together, old, young, you know, that kind young, of thing. Young, old, well, who knows? <laughs> And so can my contestants come on up? We grabbed some people that we saw walking in the lobby that just kind of looked like they might they be have, seasoned in some music. They have and no idea. so a lot of times we can tell what generation people are from by what music they are into. And so the band has come on out, and they are going to play 15 to 20 seconds team of a song. Team and Tracy. the first person to shoot Let's up their down. hand. Let's do girls okay. versus boys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Team oh, Emily oh. versus Team Tracy. I got the girls this time. Last, last one, we had the yeah, men. Yeah, switch it up, switch it up. The and girls so, won. So no, they didn't. No pressure. Did they? 
There's a tiebreaker. Oh, right, right. There's oh, yeah, a tiebreaker. There's one. Tie you're right. Anywho, okay, we're going to play this game. And if you no know pressure. it, you're going to raise your hand and say, I know this. The band is not going to stop playing because we also want all of you to play in your seats. Part, like, poke your neighbor and be like, we're competing. Tap each other when you know it and if, tell each other, all right? Because you guys want to participate as well. Um, so as soon as you know it, shoot your hand up. I'll bring the mic to you. You'll guess. If you're wrong, the other people have the opportunity to steal. Sound good? All right, let's get the songs rolling. You guys rolling. look really excited. Don't they look so excited that they got picked out of the lobby today? All right. Oh, when I look in the mirror, I'll melt your heart into two. I got the superstar crystal. Anybody? <laughs> Not a clue? And uh, nobody. Wait. Oh. You know it? Uh-oh. Was that Led Zeppelin? No. <laughs> All right, anybody in my crowd know that song? Bonner, good Bonner. job. We didn't right. know that song we'll just, either. We'll just I call it zero to zero, but good job, good job. Right, I'll give so you a no. high five at the okay. end. All right. No. Next song. All right, next song. Brian definitely did. I think it's fly away, right? <laughs> Anybody else? You got a steal? Fly away with me? I don't know. No. <laughs> Come away with me. Come away. Nope. Nope. Wow. Should have picked different people. Anybody out here? <laughs> Nora Jones. Nora Jones. Come on. Anyone? Good job. Zero to zero. If you guys don't get the third one, we're bringing new people up. All right, let's go. Third one. I'll be there for you. It's a friend's theme song, right? Yeah? I'll be there for you? Yeah. I don't know who sings it, though. I'm so sorry. Right. She got I'll be there for you. Do you got anyone know the, the, the artist? Oh, no. No. We got one. So they can get one. But who, does anybody out there know the artist? Huh? No. I mean, yeah, Friends uses it, but they didn't write it. The Remembrance. All right. One to zero. Okay, here we go. Next. Do the next one. He's coming in 1235. We like the stars that got me to Toto Africa. Yes! Now we're tied. Tie game. Tie game. You were so right. close. One to one. One to so one. So close. All right. Next song. Memories, that's all I'll be taking with me. 
I will always love you. By Whitney Houston. No, 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 not no, by Whitney. No. I'm no, no, no. It is the name of the song, but who's the who's the original artist? Celine Dion. Celine Dion. No. That's what no. I said. Dolly Parton. No. Dolly Parton. Dolly Parton. Yes. And uh, you just want to sing it? That is a technicality. <laughs> it is a technicality. But I'm sorry, she the, the girls two to zero. Two to one. Two to zero. Two to zero. Two to one. They got one. They got one. Two to one. Right. Two to one. Two to one. We we had the same problem last. Service. I we can't keep track. That's why we have yeah. you guys. Okay. All right. Next, next one. one. Next one. You can take a half a whole half a tree. Shake, shake, a sugar, come and shake, easy. Uh huh. No sorry. Uh huh. Uh, blue suede shoes, Elvis Presley. Oh, she has the artist. Anybody? Name of the song? Um, I'm all shook up. Good job. Is that the name? No, that's not the name either. That is a line in the song. Wait a minute. Shake it? No, it's not shake it either. Anybody? Nobody. What? Suck, suck on, on you. you. Good job. Well, shook up. Nobody stuck, gets it? Stuck, shook. It was close. Do you think they should get it? Nobody she gets knew, it. Okay, the girls can get it. Okay, but we're still winning. But, but also, too, winning. for the audience. Yeah, girls are winning. <laughs> All right. We that have one more. No, we don't song. have one more. That's should it. we do a tiebreaker just because they, they like didn't know cool so many? It's a cool tiebreaker. All right, so. let's do the tiebreaker. Okay, even though we're not tied. Okay. <laughs> Whatever Emily says. Whatever I say, this, you guys. I got the generation. <laughs> People try to put us down. Talking about my generation. Just because we get around. Talking about my generation. My generation, my generation baby. My generation. Vibrations, but I'm not sure who the artist is. I'm so sorry. All right, do you know that? It's not good vibrations. My generation, um, the Kinks? Oh, my generation. No. No. I know the song. It's by The Who. My generation, The Who. Hey, good job. But awesome. So All right, so who we won? Have a winner here, well, though. Yes, but the ladies we do did win. have a great prize. Yeah, we have the best prize in all of the world. We um, have a brand new car for each of you. We do. It's brand new, and it's a car. I mean, come on. But then we really do have something But then we else. really do have a real prize. You want a Starbucks gift card? Here you go. There How you go. How about a hand for these guys? All right, give it up for our contestants. Thank you, guys. Thank Thank you, you. for playing. Thank you. Thank you. Now, if you guys played out in the crowd, I, if you won, please meet me in the, in the lobby. I do not have a new car or Starbucks gift card, but I will give you a high five. All right? So we're going to invite you right now to stand up and say hello. And which one of those was your favorite song? And you knew it. You knew it. People try to put us down. Talking about my generation. Just because we get around. Talking about my generation. 
Good morning, everybody. I hope you enjoyed our fun little game. I hope the men's event goes better for the guys than they did in the challenge, right? So, uh, hey, generations, right? You can tell a lot about people by the songs they listen to or even different aspects of their life. I was thinking about that. I know a lot of people now in the context of their work, depending on the generation they are in, take their laptop to a coffee house. But before that, we actually had to be in an office and use a desktop. And some people even had to be in an office and use this thing called a manual. Does anybody ever remember working with a manual? Put your hands up. Yeah, so everybody can see no computer. You'd have a calculator and do your own simple math. It was the worst, right? But every generation has a different and unique skill set. And a lot of that is based off of how we grew up or what we experienced. And we think a lot of those can come together and create a really great dynamic. And that's what we want to talk about through this series as we're looking into the generations of people. Because we think biblically, there's a pretty big dynamic and account in there of how if we come together, some pretty great things can happen. But we also would say that hasn't necessarily been the case. So we put together a group of people representative of the different generations and get to chew in and see in to some of the conversations they had before we start the messages each week. So I want to go ahead and look at this as we look at four different generational dynamics and them talking about the way that we've kind of interacted with each other. So let's check this out together. Generation X, Gen X, I think is what they call us. <laughs> um, I, I think we're very strong. I think we have a really good work ethic. We value family, value relationships, like that personal connection. Some of our weaknesses, um, we're very set in our ways. We like things done in an orderly fashion, and I think we sometimes don't like change, or it's difficult to embrace change when we are used to things going a certain way. Yeah, I agree with you. I'm a baby boomer. I think our generation is a lot like your generation. Mm -hmm. and, um, uh, although I think we're uh, very strong from a uh, patriotic standpoint, I think we, uh, uh, that would be a big thing with us. We're very hardworking. <clears throat> and we were, I think, the last generation that really wanted to stay at one place for a long time yeah. from an employment standpoint. Yeah. And, um, of course, that's really changed. But... Uh, so I'm a millennial. Um, strengths, I think we are a very uh, flexible generation. We fly by the seat of our pants. We want an adventure out of life. We've uh, grown up in a way where we expect more out of life, which mm -hmm. lends itself to you know things like justice, things like taking new ground. And on the flip side of that, it has left, um, which the boomers love to tell me, 
uh, has left our generation in a very entitled position. Uh, so we expect a lot of, out of life, um, but are struggling maybe to catch up at, on how to actually get it. Do you agree with the boomer generation saying that there's a sense of entitlement with your totally. generation? Yeah, okay. definitely there is. And I think that's really probably one of the biggest pain points in between each of the generations is they feel certain things, they have a, a way that they, they expect life to be, but the why behind it is different for each generation, and that Definitely. is what each generation craves to be uh, understood in. Yeah. I think that's interesting, and I think it's also key, because part of the problem or the disconnect is the understanding of each of the generations and the why that you just mentioned. Um, and I think that only comes with relationships, because then you have the opportunity to have those conversations and understand why I believe like I do, or why you believe like you do, or why you handle things a certain way yeah. versus how Elizabeth would handle certain totally. things. So, yeah. Do you think your generations live in more of a black and white yes or no perspective? Because I feel like like our generations tend to view things through like more of a gray scale mm -hmm. when it comes to any type of idea and belief and even when it comes to you know the bible and what what jesus says and what following jesus looks like whereas Amen. maybe yeah. for you guys <laughs> maybe for you guys um does that feel like your generation believes like in more of a yes or no this is how it is this is how it isn't mentality we do come from a yes no black or white perspective but we're learning to uh, to to be more open to things and really appreciate the strides that have been made with the diversity and inclusion and other things. However, we wrestle with the biblical standard for things, and um, you know we're called to love everyone. I don't know that that means we just throw out the book and say, "Hey, we're going to rip these pages out because they they don't fit with my new belief system." Yeah. But um, how do we model Christ in these challenging environments? Right? Yeah. You said we're learning. Um, and uh, to fall on our sword, the millennials, Gen Zers, have not been gracious in that. When a boomer, a Gen Xer, or anyone for that matter, has held maybe a short-sighted view in our eyes, they've been attacked instead of embraced. And there's this division where we could be uh, equally as uh, a criminal of being dogmatic and black and white in the middle of our more thoughtful areas as maybe many of us would like to think about it. I was taught the yes and no black and white, but I even still questioned it, you know, and, mm -hmm. you know, going back to what is the Holy Spirit telling me that I need to do in that situation with what the word says, um, and then moving, trying to move in love. And, you know, you'd, you'd fall short. No yeah. one's perfect. But I think that's where we have to start, and that's the important part, so. We all are craving... Uh, this sense of more injustice, but the platforms many of us engage with it on are so uh, fraudulent. Yeah. Um, and we are all becoming very used to that and exchanging it for the real version of relationship and the real version of love and the real version of experiencing the tension when we have this conversation right now. Yeah. Everything you're saying, we want that. Yeah, yeah. We want, yeah. right? We want folks yeah. to understand us and why we think mm -hmm. the way we do and why we yeah. do the things we do. And I don't think that we think we're right. Yeah. I mean, no, that, right. It, right? Yeah. yeah, we want to be understood as well. Yeah. We also want to feel valued um, in our old-timey ways, <laughs> in our set ways, um, and we still want to feel like we're relevant. Hearing you guys talk, I was really humbled um, 
embarrassed and convicted that we've really thrown away your generation as, uh, you know, and it was very vulnerable of you to share that we want to be wanted and feel relevant and important in your lives. I haven't heard that very often from your generation. And it made me realize, wow, that's very honest of you. And also made me feel really sad. I'm like, man, isn't that just like us? You burn things hot and fast and throw it away and on to the next one. And we like take you guys for all we can get. And then we demonize you for the things we don't like. And um, that's sad. So I wanted to say, you know, public apology from the millennials and Gen Zers. <laughs> we love you guys. We need you guys. It's interesting. You would think after seeing something like that, that that might be a little bit more of a typical conversation, but it's not, right? The reality is it's not very frequently that we kind of come together as a community of different generations to have a frank, real gentle, yet honest conversation. And you see older people and younger people coming together and saying, I'm sorry, and apologizing. And I just wonder if we could be a little bit more like that what might happen. And I want you to think of that context as we get into the text today. But before we do, um, a lot of you know I grew up in a small town, which meant I did a lot of small town things. And we had, uh, you know, these wood carvers conventions and different things. But one of the things you do in a small town is the community kind of revolves around the local high school, whether that's drama or plays or high school sports. And for me, other than the time I played a girl in the senior project, I don't know why I just shared that with everybody. (laughs) But I did the high school sports. That was the dynamic. And our community would follow us, right? They would kind of chase the team. I remember as a young boy going and watching some of the boys and girls varsity events and then that happening for us. And, and then people would graduate and move on. We would come back and we would all kind of meet up in either summer league basketball leagues or we'd be playing at the alumni soccer game. But some dynamic where the different generations would come back and we would talk to each other. And every time we came back, there was always one topic of discussion that was always on on the table and it was whose team was the best right and all of the generations it's like we all had the exact same playbook we used the exact same talking points and made the exact same arguments that our year our generation our team was better and we would talk about how the league was weaker and the older people didn't have any skills and you're soft and you're a wimp and blah 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 but everybody was trying to communicate the same thing and it was why their year their dynamic was actually better Right? And that's always fun and really not that big a deal when we're talking about high school sports. But what's really interesting is the truth is that conversation goes far deeper than high school sports. We talk about that with other generations when it comes to their work ethic, with their desires, with their passion. And we talk about why we're better and why somebody else is inferior. And the reality is in those situations, we typically leave trying to win an argument and a lot of times leaving people feel discouraged or hurt. And that creates this divide where we see generations not getting together and doing what we saw up on that video, right? We talk about the other generation like they are less than. Whether you're a boomer, a Gen X, a millennial, a Gen Z, we all do this a little bit. And in that process, it creates a significant amount of division in and among us, right? It can be hard to find common when we are treating each other in such a way, which leads me then to ask a question. What would happen if we did not do that? What if the norm was not what I just described, but the video of these four people representative of many different decades just coming together to genuinely share? It's interesting. I actually saw somebody value somebody from a different generation. 
I saw somebody apologize and build up. And I just got to think that if we did this, something different would happen in our community. And actually, we believe it's the biblical picture that is laid out in the scripture. And as we go through this series over the next couple of weeks, that's what we're going to be looking out. But before we jump into the text today, I want to take a moment and receive this morning's offering. First, let me say, if you're a guest or this is your first or second time here, we don't want you to feel any obligation that you need to participate in this part of our message. But for those of you who are on mission with us, we're so thankful for how you give. Um, we've got a little story of something happening and the way that your uh, service and giving is going forward. Um, in Kentucky, I'm sure a lot of you have heard of the flooding that's going on. We actually have a move out network that's been pressing into that. They are uh, setting up resources and taking those resources to that community. They're meeting the specific need of people who have been displaced because of the floodwaters. And the thing that we absolutely love about that is when you go and meet somebody's practical need, it, that gives you so much more clearance and opportunity to extend to them the message of Jesus. And because of those of you who give and serve, there are people in Kentucky who are not only having a physical need met, but they get to hear the message of Jesus. So thank you for what you do. If you want to give today, you know that there's a box in the back. We have uh, the number on the screen that you can text, the app or our website. But truly, genuinely, thank you for what you do because none of this is possible without you. And if you'd like to maybe jump in with one of those teams helping in this, go to our website and the move out network page. Um, there are short-term trips going to be happening, and you can also go to the, uh, the the network that is helping them is called Draw. They have a place in Waterford where their warehouse is, and you can assemble some of the stuff that will be going out into the community. So thank you again for what you do, because it's only possible because of all of you that partner with us. Before we jump into the text, I want to pray today. Lord, I think of this topic of generations and how it just reaches into every single one of us. My hope and my prayer is that we would all be humble to listen to what it is that you want to say to us this morning, how it might change our lives. We give this time to you, and we ask that you would use it and pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So before we get into the text, I just wish that we would all take a moment and realize there's something inside of us that bends to when we hear this, we start to build up a wall. We start to build up a wall and say, I'm not the person responsible for this. I'm not the one that does it. And if I do, it's because such and such or this person has done it and I'm only responding. And in such a way, we're building up this wall that gets in front of the message that we need to receive. So my hope is every one of us will just kind of take our hammer and knock those walls down a little bit. That as we listen, we will not listen to respond, which is something that I am very guilty of, but we'll listen to just listen and consider somebody else's perspective. Because if we do that, I think it can go a long way into impacting not where we are, but bringing a dynamic where generations are coming together to do what it is that we will be talking about today. Because there's a lot at stake. There's a lot at stake when we talk about generations transferring what it is they've learned and understood to the next one. And to make that point, I want to go back into the Old Testament and very briefly look at the life of a man named Moses and Joshua. Now, for those of you that don't know, Moses was the first leader of this Jewish nation when it was established, right? They were a people that went to Egypt, but they weren't together. But as they were there, they grew into many millions of people, became slaves, and Moses is the individual that God used to bring them out of slavery. And he he was their leader. They followed him for 40 years as they wandered through the wilderness on the way to the promised land that God was going to give those people. But Moses wasn't the leader that took them in. Moses had a man serving underneath of him, and his name was Joshua. And as we'll see in a minute, Joshua learned from Moses. They were generationally very different, but Moses pressed into him. 
He communicated to him all the things he had seen God do. Remember, Moses is the man that God used to bring all the plagues to Egypt. He parted the Red Sea. There was all these amazing things that God did. And he pushed into Joshua so that he would understand it. And because of it, Joshua's leadership was dramatically different than it otherwise could have been. Let's take a look and see what it was like. Joshua chapter 24, verse 31. This is how we understand the people of Israel went under this man. It says, the people of Israel served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and the elders who outlived him. Those who had personally experienced all the Lord had done for Israel. You see, the people were faithful. And one of the huge reasons wasn't just because Moses talked about it, because he practically pushed in and pressed into somebody who was younger than him. Somebody that was better at some things, but somebody who could learn from his wisdom. And Joshua receiving that sets up the kingdom, sets up the people that's being established in a much better way for what's going forward. The text even indicates that after Joshua dies, he did the same thing because the elders received it. The people continued to follow him after that point. But then something happens in this account. Something changes in the story, and we see after Joshua dies and after these people are gone, there's no longer this path that the people are following. In Judges chapter 2, verses 10 through 13, we hear about what happened to this people after that generation dies. It says this, after that generation died, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things he had done for Israel. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight and served the images of Baal. They abandoned the Lord, the God of their ancestors who had brought them out of Egypt. They went after the other gods, worshiping the gods of the people around them. And they angered the Lord and abandoned the Lord to serve Baal and the images of Ashtaroth. You see, after Joshua and that whole group of people died, something happened. There was this generation that didn't receive the messages, the, the things that Moses had passed on to Joshua. And because of it, we actually find that they go down a different path. Like somebody forgot to tell the kids about all of the things that God had done. And not only forget to tell them, but to practically put it into practice. And because of it, God's chosen people who are supposed to be set apart to bring the message of salvation to the world actually go after foreign gods. Now, if you're not familiar with Baal or Ashtaroth, very common occurrences in the worship of them would have been child sacrifice and also prostitution. Like that is how you came to church and worship. Can you imagine? Right? That's what they moved into. And the reason it happened, because there was a generation that wasn't as concerned with pressing into the ones that came after them. Nobody told the kids all the good that God had done. And as a result, the kids, the children, started walking down a wrong path. See, mom and dad didn't really think it was important. And as such, they might have told them. But if they told them, it was like, yeah, this is what happened. They definitely didn't put it into practice. And because of it, the children no longer follow the path. And the kids picked up on all the things that mom and dad had done. And this is the really interesting, fascinating, scary part of this. Because for this context, I feel like we sit right where these people are now. There's a generation coming up in America that is far different than any we have ever known and experienced. You see, they don't believe that Jesus or his church have any real importance and relevance in their life. And if you go online and look at church statistics and you look at all these people that have this, uh, this, their thumb on kind of where things are going, they talk about where Generation Z is. 
Generation Z is people born between 1997 and 2012. And it used to be the most significant category in the United States would have been Christian. But now we're moving into a post-Christian world, which means Christianity is no longer the number one identifying factor. 44% of that generation falls into the category of nuns, which very simply means they have no religious affiliation at all. They don't claim to be Christian, Muslim, Buddhist, Jehovah's Witness, or anything. They categorize themselves as none, which doesn't mean they're atheists, but means they don't find themselves in any particular category. And that is the first time in the history of this country that that has happened. And let me start by saying, I think sometimes we think there's a political response to this, but there isn't. If you think that we can legislate morality or whatever it is back in, that this will change, you're mistaken. There's not a political solution to this. But I believe because of what God has said in the way he has set up the church, which is not a building but people, this can be something that starts to change. But here's the kicker about that generation. The attitudes and experience of them is going to directly shape what the world will look like in the future. And the truth is, when it comes to the message of Jesus, it's not looking great. And I think there are a lot of reasons for that. If you look at the stats, you'll see from generation to generation, the church is kind of on this downward spiral. And people don't attend church as much. They don't pray as much as they used to. And there's a big conglomerate of reasons of why that has happened. But for our time here today, I think there are two reasons that if all of us practically took on, we could have a pretty dramatic effect on this happening and maybe change that trajectory that's moving down and divert it and start to send it in the other direction. And the first one is this. I think that as a whole, we generally do not value the church anymore. And when I say the church, I'm not talking about this building. I'm not talking about smaller buildings or bigger buildings. I'm talking about people that gather together, whether it's in homes or places like this, to share their life together, to wrap around this message of the gospel of Jesus and understand why he came and what he says about us in our life. When we say the church, that is what we are referring to. See, a lot of times we place this value on church attendance and things that are good, but maybe that necessarily don't matter. We've thought it's about the building, and because of that, We've missed something that God has had for us the whole time. See, I'll give you one example. When I was a kid, I went to a pretty conservative church, and we went to church all the time, like 17 times a week. No, genuinely, I think I was in church five times in a given week. Anybody like that? We'll get together and have a counseling session for each other, right? So, but what happens is, is when something like that happens, the pendulum tends to swing in the other direction, which in part I think is good. I think we used to place too much value on being in the building. And because of that, people said, this isn't important. But it so often happens as we start to swing, there's no stop. And we kind of head to the total opposite direction. And now, for many, gathering together has little, if any, priority in our lives. And you know who's watching? The kids. The kids are watching and they're seeing what it is that we're doing. And when we don't place any value or any priority on the church and we don't model that for them, they pick up on that. And I believe that is a significant reason why we see the categories categories statistically the way that we are. So my question then for all of us who say we're committed that we are followers of Jesus is this. If somebody was to take a back step and look at our lives, what is the conclusion they would come to? Would they see us as a person who values the church, right? In the way that we gather, in the way that we serve, even in the way that we give of our resources, would they see somebody that talks about it being important or somebody who actually practically puts into practice that it is important, right? Because I think for a lot of us, we get to this point where we kind of teach church or, or interact with church, excuse me, like it's a box to be checked. 
And if church is just a box, if the church, if the gathering around this message of Jesus is just a box to be checked, we will see a generation that continues down this path and this trajectory that we are very much on. Follow me here for a moment, because this is a big deal, and this is why. I think behavior is far more learned by modeling than it is by talking. Let me tell you a story. I grew up um, on a road outside of town and I played little league baseball and my dad and another parent's dad were the coaches and we lived on the same road. So frequently we were in each other's cars. And I remember my coach um, having vivid conversations with his kids, telling them that he did not want them to smoke because he was a smoker. Like he would communicate the badness of the habit and where it could take them. And all of them, including us, heard this message again and again. And I went to high school with these individuals and guess what happened to every single one of his children as they got older? They became smokers. And listen, he had great intentions of communicating what was important to him for his kids. And I think he genuinely meant it. But what we do, the behavior we model will speak far louder than any words that we actually say. And I believe that is true in the context of the church, just like it was for this man and his family. The second reason that's practical for us is this. I believe that a lot of us think it is the church's job to disciple the kids around us or even the world, right? And now this is a little tricky because in part that is a correct statement, right? The church does exist to proclaim the message of Jesus and to share it with people, but the church is not an organization. The church is supposed to be made up of people, people who all see this as valuable and therefore press into it and have a part to play in this. And if we think discipling those around us can happen by us coming to church one, two, or even four times a month will be enough to teach the future generation about God and his love, the reality is it's just we are a little mistaken. Like, again, we want to be a part of that process with you. And because of that, we have lots of resources. But we want you to understand it is not our job. It is our jobs to disciple the people around us. That's why when you drop your kids off parents, do you know that the back, we have this little QR code or a piece of paper if you need it, and it's a parent cue. And what it does is it tells you ways you can talk to your children about what's going on in their space throughout the week. It's a thing to help you disciple your children because we know that if it's exclusively led up to us, that there's going to be a big gap. And because of that gap, there's something they might miss. So we want to come alongside of you and help. We know that for your edge and teenagers, and if you guys are in the room, I apologize, but I was one of you too, so I can say this. Sometimes you just need an hour where they're somewhere else, right? So we have edge and breakaway where you can bring that and Stephen and his team press in and love your children. But we also know that if you think that we can exclusively disciple them through that and through church, something's going to happen that'll look a lot more like the generation after Joshua as opposed to the one before them. We've got discipleship groups kicking off here in the fall. I encourage all of you adults to jump into one, to be a part of it. But again, discipleship is contingent upon us stepping in and doing something in this and well. The most important dynamic of this happening is going to be the way that we model the behavior for the generations that follow us. It's more important than any church service, event, class, or anything that's going on. The next generation is going to do what they see us do. You see, I think God knew that. 
I think he genuinely knew that this is exactly how it would happen. So what he did back when Moses was there in the first part of the Bible, the first five books, the one that Moses wrote, he had something in this text in the book of Deuteronomy that speaks to this very issue. And what it is, is it's the formula for how we can disciple our children to see them living more like Moses to Joshua as opposed to Joshua and then after. Deuteronomy chapter six, verse four through nine says this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. You must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to this, these commands that I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road. When you're going to bed and when you're getting up, tie them to your hands and wear them on your foreheads as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and of your gates. You see, what God did way back in the beginning of time is he gave us the formula so that we could have generations like Moses to Joshua instead of Joshua after the fact. And that's us being involved and being part of the process. And the thing it starts with is love. If you go back, any part in the dynamic, whether God is or Jesus speaking, you will find the very first component is this, is a genuine love. And when God starts to fill our souls, when there's this love inside of us for him, I think he's like flicking us with a spark because there's this burn. There's this burn that he wants each and every one of us to have in every side, inside of every one of us. As we pursue him, as we get close to him, it's like he stokes the fire. And as he stokes the fire, he gives us desires and passions. It doesn't mean that every time we're going to get it right, but we will be walking closer to him. We'll be living in such a way where we're modeling the behavior that led Moses to lead Joshua in a certain way and because of it have a generation that come up that knows the Lord and has a better output or a better potential to follow him. If you want to be part of taking back what God's lost, the very first thing I think anything what we must, that we should all do is follow this admonition. Man, God is looking for people that will burn. I'm telling you, like he wants to light a fire inside of every single one of us to move us to a place where these things matter. When you hear a statistic like this or you see somebody who's hurting because of a flood or a pandemic and whatever it is, and you can't just sit idly by and watch it happen. And the thing is, when we do that, when we press into life in that way, the kids see it. And then the kids see that this means something, that it's not just empty words, that we're just not attending church because we're trying to check a box and make sure we fit into the category that we think that we should, but because relation with Jesus is value important, and as such, other people are as well, which means they value to us. We will not be able to sit idly by and watch this happen. And I just got to think, if we started to be like that, if all of us collectively came around and started to be people that would act and move like that, that God could do something in the generation that's actually no longer following him. A post-Christian generation could be turned back. Like, what if the gospel message became so important to us that regardless of the season of life we currently find ourselves in, we came together to invest in those who are underneath us? Like, what if we were no longer idle people? What if we did something? I want to share just a little bit about my journey and my story. Um, I, I'm out of tissues, so I hope this is easier for it was than me in the first message. Um, after Jesus, the person or the people most responsible for my walk with God is my mom and dad. They were the greatest influences in my life. Where's the red dot camera? Mom, dad's not here anymore. I just want to tell you, 
more than anything, I am so thankful for the way you modeled what relationship with Jesus looks like. Like we went to church way too much. I want to tell you that too. But the fact that we were going to church all the time isn't what it was about. Mom and dad knew that this was important. And as such, it wasn't just about checking a box. It was about selling everything they had, not literally, but proverbially out and following Jesus. And because of that, I am further down in the trajectory than I ever would have been. But it wasn't just my mom and dad. There were a lot of other people on the journey that saw a stupid, dumb kid who was prideful and arrogant a lot of the times. And they said, you know what? God's leading me and he's worth it to press in because of what's coming after him. There's been a lot of men and women, but I want to talk about two people for a second. And, and listen, both of these people had every, every right and every ability to say, I'm too busy. This is enough. They had a lot going on in their life. The first, the guy was a senior vice president of a Fortune 500 company. Huge department, many people to lead into. He had involvement in the church. He had kids and grandkids coming along. But he saw some kid who maybe there was a little bit of potential in and the Lord prodded and he said, I'm gonna help him. Because of him pressing into me, I am so much further than I otherwise would have been. And that's not a brag, it's a reality of somebody coming along me. He taught me how to lead. He taught me how to read the Bible. I sat on a board with him that I had no business being on, but he helped get me on there because he could start to teach me how to do certain things, how to deal with hard situations. The other gentleman owned an accounting firm that was really successful, had no time in his schedule, but he saw me and there was something in him that said, I need to help this kid. And he taught me about the Holy Spirit. He taught me how he wants to speak in our lives and how to press in, how to hear from him, how to understand different dynamics. And the thing that I hold on to is not just how this has helped me, but my children are going to be so much further down on the road to this because these men pressed into me and I am not going to let it sit there. What I know now from these guys will be passed on to my children. What those generations understood is that there was never a time in their life where it was okay for them just to be totally removed from this. Yes, will there be seasons where we need some time off for sure, but they had a glimpse, a general guidance from God that what he had shown them he wanted them to show to others in order for the generations to come together to take this message of Jesus and make it known to a world that otherwise would not know. And if men like these hadn't done that for me, honestly, I'm not sure exactly where I would be. If anyone had been deserving of a break, it would have been people like them. And the Bible paints a very clear, compelling picture that the church should be generally unified around this message. In the Bible, um, there's a letter an apostle Paul wrote to a leader in the church named Titus. Um, Titus was sent to an island called Crete. And it gives you a little context of how the people were. The, the word Cretans comes from that. Thank you very much. Yeah, you can give him a clap. So Paul sent this man Titus to this island of Crete. There was a lot of house churches in the area and he was depressed into them, which he was doing. But then these men started getting involved. There was a lot of false Christians raising up and they were causing stir and strife. You see the men of this place, most of whom were people that were paid to fight wars. They were mercenaries. There was much sexual violence and all these abhorrent things happening in this island of Crete and these people were infiltrating the church. So Paul started writing a letter to this man Titus to help him with what he was dealing with. It's now a book of the Bible that we have called Titus. And in the letter, in chapter two, Paul communicates his vision, Jesus's vision for this church in Crete. 
It's that the generations would come together, that old and young would share time together and meals together. They would talk and they would communicate. They wouldn't push each other to the side. And when that happens, amazing dynamics would come to play in their community. But my favorite part of the chapter comes in verse 7 where he's specifically talking to Titus. And then this is how he tells him this will practically play out. Speaking to Titus, Paul writes this. You yourself must be an example to them by doing good works of every kind. Let everything you do reflect the integrity and seriousness of your teaching. You see, Paul in his letter to Titus shares what happened when the older and younger generations can come together and the impact they can have. But what he also does is remind him of how that is going to happen. It's just when Titus put it into practice himself. You see, it wasn't just about Titus saying words that were empty because they had no backing. It was when Titus got in the game himself and there was actually something behind what he was saying because it was the way that he lived. And I just got to believe if that happened then, if that happened now, what would happen in our context where we are with a generation that is truly post-Christian if we came together the way Paul describes in this text? Like, I believe with everything inside of me that God could use us to reclaim this generation. Listen, There's a lot of people writing about this and communicating. I think the message of Jesus is on the move in a way in this country, in this world, that it hasn't been in a long time. The the message of Jesus is going forward in places like Iran that it never has. There are people in places where they are persecuted, they are maligned, where they can no way gather like this. And there is an explosion of people coming to understand Jesus. And that's because some people, even though it's not convenient and it's not easy, won't stand idly by and allow this to happen on their watch. They've decided that if this is going to happen, it will happen in spite of them. And not because of them. And that's what happened between Moses and Joshua. That's what happened between Paul and Titus. And that's what God wants to have happen between all of us. This Gen Z, I'm telling you, they excite me. There is such a dynamicness about them as a generation. They care deeply and compassionately for each other. They crave authentic relationships. They're willing to take on the hard topics, but a lot of them have been discouraged by the hypocrisy that they have rightly seen inside of the church. Like there has been points where we have just messed up and got it wrong. And I think there's this burn inside them that God wants to plant himself right in the middle. And when he plants himself right in the middle of this thing that they have already developed, the thing that they are already good at, this world needs to watch out because what's happening in Iran is going to start to happen all over the world. God wants to use these kids to burn for him, but they need people who will help them. They need a generation that might be okay being ridiculed and maligned a little bit and press into them to help them in some of the things they don't yet understand. They're not as seasoned. They need people that aren't going to judge them, but that are going to come along and be a part of them growing and moving into what it is that God has called them into. You see, God wants to use all of us in his relentless pursuit of the ones he loves. And I think a lot of us, actually I know all of us fit into that category. God was relentlessly going after you, but he also wants to use you in his relentless pursuit of the others that he loves. In Ephesians, it says that you were all created uniquely with a gifting unlike any other. There is something every single one of you can do that I have no business doing as well as you or anybody else. God uniquely crafted you together in order to press into a world to a younger generation, maybe an older generation, in a way that nobody else can. And if we get up 
if we follow that calling, I believe this trajectory that we are on could change. That there's a red a red a radical shift that could happen if we will step up and say, I'm not just going to talk about it. I'm going to value the church and I'm going to follow and I'm going to put it into practice so other people can see what is really valuable. But here's the thing. That will never happen if we don't step in. I have no idea what this looks like for every single one of us in this room, but this is my challenge because I genuinely believe there are a lot of people that say, I'm a committed follower of Jesus. Listen, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you can take a minute off. I'm not talking to you for a second, but you are sold out to the message of Jesus and he is inviting you into something else. He's inviting you into something more. And maybe that's involved on a Sunday serving here in the church. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's being out in the community with a crisis pregnancy resource center or an organization like Compassion or Draw that's pressing into other people. Or maybe it's a kid that you know just needs a little help. And so you invite them out for a cup of coffee. Whatever it is, I believe the Spirit is flicking a spark inside of you because there's a burn that He wants you to have. And when you have that burn and the generations start to change because you see the church is valuable, not only in our words, but in our deeds, something will change in our community. God will use that in each and every one of us to take this trajectory that we are on and shoot it back in the other direction. So my hope and my prayer is for those of you that know that is you will take some time and you will ask God the question, what is it that you want me to do? What is it that you're drawing me into? And let me talk to those of you who are not followers of Jesus and have not sold out to him yet. Listen, first let me tell you how honored I am that we were here. And a lot of you would say that there's been hypocrisy in the church, and I just want to tell you you're right. You are right. We have messed up and we have done things poorly, and we will probably continue to do it again. But I hope that you'll give us a second chance. I hope that you'll come back and you'll see, because I know a lot of people in this room who are sold out for Jesus and they would be the first to tell you they make a mistake, but they are going after him because they see what's happening and they're not okay. And if it's gonna happen, it's not gonna happen because of them. It's gonna happen in spite of them. And I believe that if we stepped into that, God could use a community like that to do some pretty amazing things in Clinton Township, in Macomb in Chesterfield, and Mount Clemens, and because of it, some of that territory that's been lost, in Gen Z and all the generations, that Satan has got his dirty, filthy hands around, would start to crack. And some of it would start to lead out, and things would happen for the kingdom because of people who said, I'm not going to stand by, I'm not going to sit, and I'm not going to watch it happen. Let's pray. Lord, I am so thankful for the way that you've gone after me. I'm thankful for the people that you placed in my life, for the people that just loved you and genuinely cared for you and how you sent them after me. My hope and prayer is that each and every one of us would consider what it is that you want us to do, how you want us to follow you, and then we would take the step and not just stand idly by because there's too much at stake. It's people's lives, it's their souls and eternities. Lord, I pray that you'd help every single one of us to burn for you in a new way as we lead this place today. And then we would fan that flame and watch what you do. I ask this all in the mighty name of King Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. Would you all stand with us as we sing?
on his children. Clean hands for your hearts, good grace, good God. His name is Jesus. Sweet wine, sweet wine, are you heavens? Let the breeze go up as the walls come down. Our creation, everything with breath, ripping the sound. All his children, clean hands, pure heart, good grace, good God. His name is Jesus. Swing wide, swing wide, all you heavens. Let the breeze go up as the walls come down. Our creation, everything with breath, ripping the sound. All this children. the prayer team to come down to the front. Hey, that first song we sang, there was a line in it that said, his goodness is running after you. Man, I just wish some of you would stop and let it catch you. See, Jesus is always extending his hand, but he's never going to grab. He's never going to pull. He's never going to rip us down. But if you let him reach out, if you let him catch you, I think there will be some dynamics in your life that will begin to change. It might not make sense at first. It might not be easy. But he will take you to a place you will never want to come back from. If you'd like to talk with somebody about that today, come up to our prayer team. Come see me or Tracy or Emily or somebody on staff in the lobby. We would love to have a conversation with you. But if not, I hope you all have a fantastic Sunday. And you'll come back next week and join us for this part two series in Generations. Have a great day, everybody. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to the Kensington Church Podcast. If you've enjoyed this recording, check back weekly for new content. You can find Kensington on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and of course, at kensingtonchurch.org.